0: So we're chatting today with Kelly Wilson. Kelly has kind of an awesome backstory that is a story I think worth sharing. I think a lot of people will walk away with a nugget or two of information that maybe they can apply to their own lives. And yeah, so here we go. So one of the interesting things about you, Kelly, is you were a lovable with the Chicago Bulls, right?
1: Yes. Time of my life. And we... What what does
0: that mean?
1: So the Chicago Lovables are the dance team for the Chicago Bulls. Some people call us the cheerleaders. They can, that's fine too. But we dance and um it's kind of changed over the years. It's always fun for me to watch what's currently going on. But um yeah, dance during during the game. They don't really they're not really on the floor during the game these days, but um, yeah, timeouts and halftime and appearances and stuff. It was um a dream come true.
0: So, and that's something now, granted, we often see the athletes playing the ball sport or on the court in a different light, but really from a cheer perspective, from an entertainment perspective, from a performance perspective, that's the top of the heap. That's kind of a big deal. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it definitely, um, especially growing up in a small town and not being exposed to competitive dance. Like I didn't even take dance growing up. There was no place to do that. That's how, that's how removed I was. And, but, um, I, I found out about the lovables when, um, when the bulls were winning all their championships, my boyfriend at the time, he brought a poster of the lovables home from the grocery store from Jewel. And he was like, hey, I thought you would like this. And I was like, what is this? And I knew from like, from that moment, I still have the poster from that moment. I was like, I have to find out how to be part of this. And I did it. I still can't believe I did it sometimes. So how,
0: how old were you at that point?
1: Um, I was out of college. They require you to have a full-time job um, and on top of all the rehearsals and stuff. So I was 23 three. I think I turned 24 while I was on the team. So no
0: competitive cheer, no comp- formal competitive dance experience.
1: Well, in high school, I was on like my high school dance team and we did compete a lot. Um, okay. but yeah, so you had
0: a little background.
1: I, yeah. But one of the toughest things for me as a lovable was going into rehearsals and, you know, they'd show like start learning dances and give it speak in terms of all the technical names that i didn't know and i would always have to be like i I don't know what that is but can you can you just show me and i'll do it
0: like hey (laughs) can somebody do that so i can see what it looks like yeah
1: so it was very you know it was a little bit of um just having to but that whole like fake it till you make it kind of thing because i didn't have the formal dance training but um and I made, made it, it somehow. <laughs> yeah.
0: And there's, and I don't know what the numbers were at that time, but I, I would have to imagine to make the team, there were probably a lot of women that, that didn't. Like, oh, yeah, I got to believe that that's significant.
1: There were hundreds, I think, well, you have to apply on paper and then you have to get accepted to actually audition. And I think there were about 300 people that got accepted to audition. And then I think there were like six rounds of cuts from there and, you know, the dancing, they want to hear you speak. They want to make sure that you can put a sentence together in case there's a, a microphone shoved in your face. And, um, you know, they quiz you on the team and, you know, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. It was really a whole, and then you go, you go, then when they make the almost final cut, you go to a whole separate, like training camp. And it's like several nights of more rehearsals and auditions. And what's
0: what's the finer ro- roster? Like how many make it? So the you start final? with 300. How many people are on the team?
1: There are 25 at the time. So, 20, so that's pretty significant.
0: And all the while, no formal extensive <laughs> like uh, dance studio training from like the time you're four years old to 20 right. something. So you didn't have that. You had high school and,
1: yeah. and that
0: can be competitive, but that's not the same as going to a studio from when you're a little kid all the way to young adult. And then you right. were working full time. Yeah. So talk about like, hey, I'm going to do this and doing the work and making it happen. That's awesome.
1: So when we made it to the training camp, you know, they require you to have a full-time job. And my boss at the time, it was a small boutique graphic design office. And my boss at the time, you know, they told us at training camp, if you make this team, we will not accept any excuses that you have to work and you can't make it to rehearsal. So discuss this with your boss now. So I did that. And he, he just kind of had the attitude, like, sure, Kelly, sure. It's fine. He, you know, he, I, he didn't think I would make it. (laughs) So I remember that at the time and then I did make it and I ended up using like my, my vacation time to make, to go to rehearsals, you know, because you have to, we, you know, rehearsed several days a week or we had a game or an appearance. So it was, it was very, very much, um, a demand on time. I remember at the beginning the coach saying, You will learn how to manage your time like nothing else. And she was absolutely right.
0: <laughs> wow. And, and you know, that's something that comes from whenever you get to the top of anything, whether it's sport, business, you get really good at the little things and, mm-hmm. you know, little things that end up producing a big result, you know, right there, time management.
1: Yeah. And another interesting thing of, that time was that was when september 11th happened and um you know so everything was like super high security nobody was getting through any doorway at the united center you know without checking through anything and we had um we had to take our uniforms with us everywhere we had like 80 some pieces of uniforms that we had to carry to every game in this gigantic bag and then security would have to go through the entire bag every time and um, unfortunately, you know, because of all of that, we didn't get to do a lot of things that we otherwise would have gotten to do, like traveling overseas with the team and things like that. Um, but it was still the best experience.
0: I mean, still a uh, one in 25 out of over 300. That's pretty yeah. sick. I mean, you're in a small crowd. And and again, that's, you know, that's, it doesn't get much bigger than that. I yeah. I don't think, I mean. <laughs> I really don't in that world. There's only a few opportunities to get to do that. And I can't imagine, like I was traveling for business when September 11th happened. And I remember what it was like going through airports, any and everything. And I can't imagine every time you quote unquote, go to work to perform, like, yeah. here we go, plan mm-hmm. for an extra hour of having yeah. them go through your, your, basically your luggage, mm-hmm. right?
1: That's yeah. nuts. Yeah. And it was, it was still just like beyond special. I'm still friends with, I think, pretty much everybody. We keep in touch. We have reunions every, every so often, or, you know, we'll get together and do things. So it's definitely a very special thing.
0: What's the biggest thing that Kelly walked away from that experience with, whether it's for, for life, career, what personal development, like what well, looking back, like what do you think is, been improved the most in you because you had that opportunity?
1: I think really just proving to myself that I could do things, even when everyone around me doesn't necessarily think that's possible. Um, You know, I did have a lot of friends at the time when I told them I was trying out, they'd be like, okay, okay, Kelly, sure. (laughs) (laughs) A lot. And, um, you know, I think my my family was very encouraging, but it's still to them when it actually happened, it was like wow, really? Like, really? (laughs) So, um, I think it was just, I think it helped me confidence wise to just take the risks for things that even if it doesn't seem possible, take the risk and find out.
0: And that's the, the more I talk to successful people and ask them, you know, why are, why are you successful? Like what makes you different? It, and I have one really good friend that has been uber successful in multiple businesses at like a a grand grand level like has had hundreds of employees I won't share revenue but significant Mm -hmm. and I asked him I'm like what's what like why why are you this good at these things and he said I've always believed more in myself than anyone else and and I'm hearing that and what you said like you realize no matter no matter everybody's like oh sure Kelly you're like (laughs) no I'm gonna do the work I'm doing this Yeah. I I can do this.
1: Yeah. I think that that's a huge thing for successful people in general. And, um, you know, and I think with me too, like, I see, I see the plan in my head, like, okay, I got to do this and this has to happen. And this is going to happen then like, you know, and people on the outside don't see that, but it's not just, um, this wild idea. I'm just going to do it. There is still, you know, calculated planning involved to when I actually do want to accomplish something and, and I'm, I'm all, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm also good at um, like the delayed gratification. Like, I don't care if it takes this many years, this many years, this many years, if I want to do something, that's okay. If it takes a long time, I'll, I'll get there eventually.
0: And that's so true. And in that's in part, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm trying to do some of these podcasts and webcasts is I I always reference, mtv cribs like if you're you're probably old enough to recall that program oh
1: yeah oh
0: yeah they you know they show the mansion the pool the cars the great time but they didn't they don't show the 10 years to get there they they don't show the friends saying you are never gonna do that like it ain't gonna happen who do you think you are look where you're from yeah um that piece is
1: always left out Exactly, and another big piece is the passion, right? Because we didn't get paid a lot of money; it cost me more than it paid me to do that. But the passion was there because I loved doing it, and I think that has a, that's another big factor for success in anything. Like I often tell people, if you're not motivated to do something, you know, like with fitness, people are often like, "Oh, I just don't feel motivated." You need to look at the the reasons why you're doing it because your why is probably misplaced.
0: Hundred percent in motivations fleeting. And when I look at people that are like, well, I'm not real motivated to work out. And my answer is always, you know, I, I have news for you. If you're middle-aged and I use middle age to say over 30, mm-hmm. um, if you're middle-aged, the working out's not an option. Like this, that's a must do a few days a week. And if you don't decide it's a must do today, in 10 years, your life is going to be different in a very negative way.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And that's, and it's crazy. So you basically had a second full time job, the Lovables, <laughs> and essentially you weren't getting paid. You were, you were spending your money to make it happen.
1: Yeah. When you take into account like, you know, every day driving to practice, we practiced yeah. it. We practiced at the Hilton on Michigan Avenue. So we had to pay for parking just for practice and, you know, all of the the beauty products and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Parking, gas, tolls, hair, makeup, yeah. clothing. Yeah, you know, a lot. What lot. Probably food at some point, you yeah. know, unless you live on Michigan Avenue, like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, for sure. That's crazy. So w- career-wise, what's your, what's your academic background?
1: So I went to school for graphic design at NIU. And I've mostly been working in that field, mostly in some capacity that whole time with ups and downs, of course. And, um, yeah, so graphic design is, um, (laughs) I like to say it's my side hustle, (laughs) but it is my, my full-time career. Um, even though I have my fitness business.
0: And how, how's, how's graphic design evolved? Just looking, I mean, sitting here today, looking at having Canva on my cell phone and understanding canva is not going to do what illustrator and photoshop will but yeah it does an awful lot like what's that evolution been like
1: um well when i first came into the working world right after college i did a lot of package design which you know like when you go to the store and you buy the box like the designs that are on boxes and a lot of um book design like book interiors book covers so a lot of print things and obviously now everything is heavily heavily digital which I have evolved to change my skill set with, um, but I don't enjoy it as much as the print stuff. I, the print, the print side of the design world is much more tedious, much more meticulous. Um, and it's not as like disposable as, you know, say like, like social media, you know, that content is unfortunately very disposable, even though people put a lot of time and effort into it. But, um, you know, even with my full-time job now, I design a lot of things for social media and it's, it's not fun for me because I know people just scrolling right past it and then it's gone.
0: Well, so- and that's, that's an interesting term. And I, I haven't heard that before in regards to social media or, and, or digital content, regardless of platform, but disposable. You're right. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, you on a yeah. design on the design side, you might have an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours in a piece, and it could exist in a digital world for a day.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And I've, I've done a lot of um, email design for like fortune 500 companies. And I'll be in meetings sometimes where we're discussing if a comma needs to go in the email for 20 minutes. and then everybody has a reality check. Like this doesn't really matter.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're not it's gone. It'll be gone, you know, in seconds. Yeah. And people reading it will be on to the next thing. Yeah, that's amazing. So fit (laughs) fitness business. So the the other stuff you do walk us through that. What's that called?
1: So my fitness business is called Fit Fizz. It really just started in started in 2012 as a motivational Facebook page, you know, because my friends were always like, "How do you stay motivated to go to the gym?" So I just started making, you know, as a designer, started making the cute little images with quotes and whatever, and I enjoyed doing that, and it has evolved over the years because I started realizing how can I monetize this? And well, I've, you know, I, I started teaching fitness classes all the way back in the nineties, like as soon as I got to college. So, you know, I've had fitness certifications for group fitness, personal training. And, um, you know, when I realized I was getting burnt out with the graphic design, I started, the wheels started turning, you know, how, how can I monetize the fitness stuff? And, um, I built a little shop with, you know, I've got like some t-shirts and things like that. Um, you know, I started offering like small coaching packages, trying to work it into my design life. So it's always been a very tricky balancing act because I always wish I had more time for that. Um, but I'm I'm finding my way. And um, yeah, so right now I do, I have my little shop, I do a little bit of like remote personal training here and there. I don't really market it because my time is so limited. But I also do nutrition coaching, which I love to do. And it's it's really like FitFizz is really not about like, hey, let's get you a six pack. It's about like, let's get strong. Let's focus on being healthy for the long term. Let's make your relationship with food a good positive thing. You know, even if you come to me and saying, oh, I want to lose 45 pounds. Let's focus on why that hasn't, what hasn't worked for you in the past and why a lot of that is, you know, has to do with your mindset and we work on fixing those kinds of things.
0: So kind of a a merging of, of some of your passions and interests. Yeah. Still, still leveraging those tools from the the graphic design world. So you can create attractive content, maybe some physical products, you know, intended for people in the fitness space. I know years back we had bought some of them, some cool workout type stuff. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think we got the PR jar from you.
1: Yep. You you came to the first uh like live in-person pop-up shop that I had at a powerlifting meet. You've always been so supportive. I appreciate well, that.
0: And I think that pop-up shop, you were and that that's kind of interesting, but I think you doing that and having that, because yeah, that was a pop-up shop. That was before anybody had pop-up shops.
1: Yeah, it kind of was. It was it really happened very quickly. Yeah.
0: And I th- I think, yeah, we bought, I know we got the PR jar. I'm When I sold the gym, I don't know if that stayed because I okay. left most of the stuff in, in the one office. Yeah. um But that being said, it, I might've grabbed it and put it with my stuff. Now I have to check. I know right. <laughs> a box or container it may be in um, by my gym at home. I'll have to double check, but that was pretty cool. And then the hey. coaching and the food stuff. And since you mentioned the coaching and food, Let's chat a little bit about kind of like your your road with health, wellness. Let's go back to that like 2016. Walk us through some of your your stress-related issues and your journey to understand them and and kind of resolve them.
1: Yeah, um so in 2016, um I had lost my full-time job where I was doing email design, being stressed out about commas and emails and things that don't matter. Yeah, but it was paying the bills. And I had just started FitFizz like as a shop. And I was just working out the coaching aspect. And my plan was to get that in order so I could leave graphic design within a year. Well, they let me go before I got to that point. And the stress of having the rug pulled out from under me it i mean you know cuz i'm i'm single i don't have anyone financially supporting me i had put all my money into fitfiz um so it was it really rattled my world to a point where my health kind of went off a cliff well actually i was already having health problems they diagnosed me with a sleep disorder that called idiopathic hypersomnia i was like my fatigue was just on indescribable, just off the charts fatigue, no matter how much I slept, they diagnosed me with a sleep disorder, which turned out to be a bogus diagnosis. Um, But once I lost my job, I, I was already feeling so unwell, I was having a hard time functioning and making it through my day. But I had just started my nutrition certification, paid a lot of money to do that. And I, you know, I was like, well, I'm not gonna not do this. So while I was trying to find my footing applying for other full-time jobs, finished my nutrition certification. Because of that, I started having these light bulb moments with the information I was running into about how you can, you know, how, how much stress really can affect your health. You know, I'd always heard people say it, oh, don't stress out. It's not good for your health. But I didn't really get it until I was living it. I was in this deep, dark hole of despair and stress and pretty much all the foods I Eight were making me sick. I, you know, like everything, my body was not absorbing nutrients. I was, you know, just off the charts, exhausted. I, and you know, when I started stumbling upon this information about, you know, thyroid health, which I had low, low grade hypothyroidism. Um, but I started reading about something called Hashimoto's. And I, the more I read, the more I was like, this sounds exactly like me. And I didn't have you know, I had lost my job. I didn't have health insurance. I didn't have the money to go see a functional medicine doctor, but I started finding doctors who had free courses or the cheap courses online to, you know, I started learning how to get my own lab work and how to read it and what that means. And I just, I kept digging for information. Like there was no tomorrow because I was desperate. And sooner, you know, within, I mean, this was about a year's time we were into 2017 by now. And I had realized, okay, cutting gluten out of my diet, even though I was very reluctant, that actually helped me to think more clearly, I could feel that like the inflammation in my body going down. And so once I started seeing the proof that doing these things was helping me feel better, the more I kind of got more excited about it. And it just kept going and going and going till I got my health back
0: and that's you know i have i have two things to share in that regard um one when you are fed up being unhappy you we often end up being so passionate and so willing to climb any and all mountains yes. to get to a solution and that's for me back in the 90s i lost 60 some pounds mm-hmm. so a lot of a lot of people some do, some don't, but a lot of people today don't, don't know, mo- do not know my backstory. So I lost 60 some pounds in the mid nineties and I've kept most of it off. I mean, I kept all of it off and then some for shoot 20 some years. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that happened was I was tired of being fat, not a shape. I was always a fat kid. And I was always the overweight teen and I was heavy in college and finishing college, which took me a little longer than most. I was unhappy And I went on a mission and I wanted to change and I went and asked for help. And I was told, do more cardio, eat less calories. I'm like, it's not working. And the dietician said I was lying. So I'm like, all right, that's it. I'm fed up. And I went on my own journey and, and figured out through trial and error, what works. And I think your story that ends up being the kind of the powerful tuition is when you have the issue, you have the problem and you're, you're upset enough to accept nothing in your way from solving it. Yeah. Um, that's often the best way to learn. And that's the best way to learn for sure.
1: Yeah. And I remember once I started coming out of that hole and I was, I had actually, I attained my nutrition coaching certification. I remember crying on the phone to my mom, like, cause I was having so many light bulb moments, like this whole experience as awful as it has been. And I was still pretty unwell at the time like this is this is going to make me so much more of an effective coach to understand yeah. what people go through cuz like what in cuz Hashimoto's is an autoimmune condition one in 4 Americans has an autoimmune condition of some kind many have more than one and i do think that a lot of people are failed by traditional medical doctors just masking symptoms which is i know we could keep that's murky territory to start discussing but People want to be seen and believed, like you said, like you had gotten fed up with people saying, oh, well, you have to be eating more than that, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so many people just feel frustrated because they don't have the information. And it really really lit a fire under me to want to share what I can with other people.
0: And if we look at the lemons, to lemonade or the silver lining of that dark cloud, what if you didn't get laid off? Yeah, yeah, because I guarantee you, you were already experiencing issues. So the the Hashimoto's is is there in mm-hmm. the autoimmune issues there, but it might have remained dormant if you didn't add this stress. So now we're yes. stressed. If you had still had that job and had access to regular company provided health insurance, you would have gotten that regular Dr. Merry-go-round and yep. you and I might not be talking today because yep. you might be so miserable, you know what
1: I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. And at the time doctors were telling me, well, then if you can't function, you should just probably apply for disability and that's the end of the story, which is crazy to me because yeah, yeah. if I had stayed on that path, right. that <laughs> might have been my fate. Like I it basically was like a a life sentence of well, I guess that's it. And I just I'm glad that things happened in a way that I was I was not willing to accept that.
0: And kind of once again, like the lovables, we see a decision where you decide to not give in, not say, okay, I just can't do this. Um, I I need to accept disability. Instead, you said, there's got to be a way. Like, I'll I'll figure it out. Yeah. And it's it's been worth it for sure. And and I think in not not that, I mean, modern medicine's marvelous. It offers- many opportunities but it also comes with a bias mm-hmm. which is you know I've had many clients with hashimotos um I've had some real unfortunate situations where clients had hashimotos and graves at the same time mm-hmm. so it's like both ends of the thyroid spectrum at the same time and you're like well we can't if we treat one we accelerate or exacerbate the other if we don't then we it's a mess yeah um, but the the bias is they go with what they've seen most often, and the bias often looks past all of the other things, especially with the way medicine has become big corporation. Yeah. there's no opportunity for the practitioner to get to know Kelly Wilson as the patient. It's yeah. they see the Hashimoto's, and there's no time to look at any of the other factors. Is she right. stressed out is she sleeping? Is she not sleeping from work stress, loss of job stress, or is she not sleeping because she's got some autoimmune issue? Right. They're just like Hashimoto's.
1: Yeah. And I knew once, once I had become aware of the world of functional medicine and hearing how many hours these doctors would spend with their patients, I finally found one that was local that I could afford without insurance. And I was there almost five hours, my first appointment. That's how thorough she was. And she was, she, you know, she didn't gaslight me into thinking, oh, that can't be true. Or, oh, you're just depressed. Like it was, it was just like really turning the corner for me.
0: Yeah, for sure. And in that, if we look at big corporate medicine and I've had a lot of experience with this the last few years and, you know, they, Corporate medicine doesn't want the attending physician to spend much more than X amount of time with a patient Mm -hmm. because they want so many patients per hour because it's revenue per hour at the expense of patient outcome. Yeah. But if we deviate from that typical business model, which it is, and we go to that independent practitioner, Mm -hmm. then you get the time that's required to actually address you as an individual and, yeah. and turn over every rock and stone.
1: Yeah. And actually fix things. Instead right. of just masking. Instead them. of yeah. here,
0: here's a bandaid. You're still yeah. going to be bleeding, but we'll just change the bandaid every week. Yeah. Which is, is crazy in the stress thing. So I had a, a member of my gym years ago and he was, he was elderly at the time. Um, but was a, was a machine as a coach. He he made it his mission to, and you couldn't get away with this today, but he was a cross country coach and he's like, I would go approach the fat girls that nobody ever believed in or anything else. And I would say, I see you as a runner. And I believe that you can be successful at state if you start running and he's, mm-hmm. and he would get these, these athletes that no nobody ever saw as an athlete and believe yeah. so much of them that they would become incredible athletes. And a lot of them would go and run at state, which was uh. bananas. Yeah. But for him personally, he was a teacher and a coach and he got into selling insurance because he was a super, super people person guy. Everybody in the community knew him. Mm -hmm. So he was working his teaching job, doing his coaching, doing great in both of those areas, and then was killing it insurance in insurance, making a ton of money. Wow. In his exact words were I had two Lincolns in my garage And I was having all kinds of health issues and all kinds of heart problems. And I went through all these tests and and this would have been in the eighties. And he's like, and my, my, my doctor who I'd had for a long time said, you know what, John, I think the problems, those two Lincolns you have in the garage in this insurance business, like there's nothing wrong with your heart or anything else. I think it's all of this stress, like get rid of this stress. So he was like, yeah, the next day I was done selling insurance. I got rid of the Lincolns and my wife and I got regular affordable cars that I could afford on my regular salary, teaching and coaching. And within weeks, all my issues were gone.
1: Wow. That speaks volumes for sure. I absolutely believe it. Yeah. I think more people could, I mean, not that I want people to go through hard times, but people need the reality check of like how much it really does affect your health and, you know, with uh, like triggering serious health conditions.
0: And I I think is, is I look at the American pursuit as a young adult or adult, we're all told, or oftentimes we're told, go to college, get a degree, get a good job benefits that pays well in absent from that discussion is any mention of, Hey, Kelly, what do you think you'd be happy doing when you get older?
1: Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's a huge thing. I know. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Go work yourself dead. Yeah. You know, no, no mention of, Hey, like, what would you be happy doing?
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know that that did play a factor in some of the 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 choices I made in my graphic design path because right out of college, my closest friends they they wanted to work at the like the big design studios and they did some really cool jobs, you know, like designing for Britney Spears and Michael Jordan. But they never slept. They they never went home. <laughs> and um, you know that stuff takes a toll too.
0: Yeah, for sure. And in what you know what? What were they compensating for the fact that they never, never walked away from work? Yeah, definitely. drugs, alcohol. You know their health, their wellness, or well being. Yet alone were they even happy doing it?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: That's. I I, I don't think we pay enough attention to that, and I, I think the result is we see a lot of people who have really high stress levels and then have a lot of health issues that are related to the stress levels that nobody ever pays attention to.
1: Yeah.
0: So you got some resolutions. What was the path to getting? So it was self-education, right?
1: Yeah. Like 80% of it was self-education. And you know, I was, I was, I don't want to say unemployed because I, you know, I had my fitness business and I was doing freelance work to try to survive, but I was really an unstable ground income wise for quite a long time without health insurance. So I'd say about 80% of it I did on my own, but I knew as soon as I had more income, the doctors that I wanted to see and what I needed to figure out with, with them, you know, to just fine tune the things that I couldn't do on my own, um, you know, with um, natural thyroid medication, not the synthetic stuff and um, natural supplements, not prescription drugs and, you know, it's just, it's really changed my life. It's, you know, from like 2016 to like, like 2021, really, it was all very, very rough time for me. So it was like, you know, people talk about the pandemic and how hard those two years were, I was already kind of in like, basically a self isolation for almost three years prior to that. And I was just starting to feel better when all of that happened. And um, that kind of added to just the whole weirdness of like, what am I doing with my life at the time? But um, now I feel better than ever. And just the clarity and the health and the energy that I have, you know, I'm 47 now and I'm surrounded by people my age who are always like, oh, my aches and pains. Oh, I'm so tired. And I'm like, I feel better than ever. And I like, I, I'm sure people get sick of me talking about this, but it just speaks to the power of constantly prioritizing your health in every way you possibly can you're gonna feel better I did not have this much energy when I was a lovable when I was in my 20s I I did not have this much energy I did not feel this good at all so that's
0: amazing you know and I think it's you know the the choices we make play a role and and I don't think we pay enough attention to you know, the result of those choices, you know, decisions have consequences. And mm-hmm. I don't think we pay enough attention to that at all, especially when it comes to diet and exercise, or just like what I tell clients or, or friends is like, listen, like you, you have to decide to make yourself a priority.
1: Absolutely. And, and then
0: once you've made yourself a priority, you need to make an investment in your own health and well being, which Absolutely. means how to exercise. Um, you, you should try and make better food choices. And it's not like you got to eat uber healthy all the time, but right. there there needs to be some investment and effort.
1: Yeah, for sure. And the prioritization of protein, I'm huge on that. I'm always talking about got to get your protein, got to get your protein because that I, that overall is one of the, I think the biggest factors in anyone's health, as we get older, if you can just, just make sure you get enough protein every day, it's going to take you pretty far.
0: And, in, in that's, you know, when I look at people that are new to making better food choices relative to goal. And for most people that goal starts with, I need to lose weight. Right. And it's like, well, let's work on health, wellness, happiness. And if we get those right, the weight loss will come. But the yeah. first struggle is always getting enough protein. Mm-hmm. and And that was me. Back when I was a fat guy, I went to a GNC. I finally got some real money working as an engineer. I bought a mm-hmm. pair of real Oakleys at Sunglass Hut. Uh-huh. And then I bought two giant tubs of protein from the GNC at the mall. Yeah, I thought I was set. And then a couple months later, I went to a different GNC to buy pr- same protein and get my two tubs of protein. I know nothing about any of this stuff, except this is what I had been buying. So I'll buy it again. Yeah. Bring it up to the counter. And the the manager asked me about how much protein I eat and everything. And I'm like, well, I have no idea, but I have one of these shake things a day.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: he's quizzing me about food and, and I, you know, I'm like, well, I don't know. He's like, well, tell me what you eat. So I do. And he's like, that's like 70 or 80 grams of protein. How much do you weigh? And I I don't know what I was at that point, maybe 170, 190. I couldn't even tell you.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And uh, he's like, well, you need like double that. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, you probably need at least double the amount you're eating. I'm like, that's impossible. I'm like, here, keep your protein. And I turned and walked out because I figured there was no way.
1: Yeah, that can't be right. yeah And a lot of people react that way when they first realize, yeah. I did too. When I, when I was at that point. Yeah. And it's and, easy. Yeah. And even, you know, I was just telling somebody recently when I was lovable, I, I don't, and this is why I probably didn't, I have more energy now than I did then I was surviving. Like I I'd come home from rehearsals and eat like a pot a pot of macaroni and cheese and go to bed or nachos and go to bed. Where's the protein? <laughs> no wonder I have more energy now.
0: Right. Your, your body is getting the things that it needs. And even yeah. battling with, as example, college professors, I I used to guest speak and guest lecture at colleges and universities. I still do, just not nearly as often. And I, I got into it with a professor and they're, about protein and they're insisting on it's bad for liver and kidneys in front of the class. And I'm like, okay, class, oh, don't gosh. take my word on it. Um, she has just said that she's a doctor and I'm not hop on PubMed and, and look up high protein diets and kidney and liver function. There's no research that says it impairs either. Yeah. Um, but I told her, I'm like, you realize like there are no essential carbohydrates. There are essential amino acids and there are essential fats, which means we must consume them in our daily diet.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't,
0: I, it's that simple.
1: I've run into those discussions too. And it, it is, it is frustrating <laughs> It takes a lot of energy to have those kinds of discussions, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, that's part of what I do. Part of why I do what I do too. And like when I started feeling better, I started my own podcast because I was like, I gotta teach people about that stuff.
0: You need to share, right? Yeah. I need to share. Like it's doable. I've I'm doing it. I've helped mm-hmm. others do it. How can I help? How can I serve more people?
1: Yeah. And it, it's more fulfilling than graphic design. That's why I, I, I'm more focused on following that path too, because I, I do get very passionate about, you know, because when you see people finally realize like, oh my gosh, you might be right. Okay. I'll try it. it I find that to be very exciting.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, what's more, what's more rewarding than seeing somebody with a problem, helping them yeah. with a the solution and then watching them solve the problem.
1: Yeah. And if it makes them feel better, your whole life gets better. Like it's great. Yeah.
0: Right. That's, that's worth more than any amount of money I would think.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So you've, you've kind of tuned up your health issues, found some solutions through trial and error mm-hmm. mistakes, lots of, I'm sure lots of heartache.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: And so are you taking any prescriptions for any of that? Are you doing it all with, with supplements and food?
1: All natural supplements and food. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, there's a message and a story right there, right? That's huge. (laughs) At our, at our age. So I'm a year older. Okay. I'm not on any knock on wood. I'm not on any prescriptions. And, and I watched somebody a couple months ago share, they just turned like 40 and they shared a picture of their their prescription bottles, plural, with an S on the end of bottle. Mm-hmm. And they got one of those pill managers for, you know, load up your pills every day. And they were commenting yeah. how now at that age, they're, they're going to get the thing that helps them remember what to take what day. And I'm looking at all these tan prescription bottles. I'm like, how much stuff are you on? And my God, I bet half of it would go away if you fixed your activity levels in your food.
1: Yeah. And another big thing that I really dove deep into as well that I realized is linked is unresolved trauma. And, you know, your body responds to past trauma, big or small as stress the same way, you know, like work stress, you know, but you might get so used to it, you don't realize it. And that's what pulls the trigger for a lot of disease as well.
0: And that's, yeah. And that, that ties back to stress. Mm -hmm. stress. And and then stress is, it's like it knocks over a domino. And it's like when we're kids and we set up all these dominoes, as long as you don't knock one over, they all stand up. But once one of them falls, then they just cascade and they keep going.
1: Yeah. And the same thing, like you were, I didn't mean to change the subject from the prescriptions, but the same thing, if you keep adding the prescriptions, it's not always it's not necessarily going to lead to a better path because you start, the more prescriptions you add, the more they start to interact with each other in unintended ways. And things just can get really complicated. And I'm not saying prescriptions are bad. They can do some good, but I think there's, I wish people would realize more that there's a lot that you can do to maybe not need so many. Yeah, absolutely
0: agree a hundred percent and it's there's a time and a place for for modern medicine yeah but there's also a time and a place for taking responsibility for your activity levels and your nutrition and there's a lot of things that end up being treated with a prescription because the individual's unwilling or just ignorant on what they could be doing on their own yeah and and you're sitting there proof positive. I mean if you would have gone the traditional medicine route, you'd probably be on Synthroid and Metformin and and who knows what else.
1: Yeah, definitely. And And then
0: there's no, you know, there's no free ride with a prescription. Like we know the outcome of better food choices and exercise. Like there's no side effects for the most part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And, you know, I've had past experiences when I did put my full trust into doctors and their prescriptions and I just took it without question You know, I, I've in the past long ago, been on prescriptions for depression, anxiety, and in hindsight, I I couldn't see it at the time, but in hindsight, I think they all made things worse for my, made my mental health worse. I'm not saying that happens to everybody, but for me personally, having a clear look at the past, everything that I've been through, they didn't help me. And I'm just really glad that I was able to question things deeply enough to find another route
0: and there's you know you're you're an individual obviously and there's there's always outliers it's math it's statistics Mm -hmm. and if if you're an outlier on the end of the bell curve in the middle the sweet spot the big section of that curve is going to be most people in their response to some of those prescription drugs and they may not have any issues ever and it may help them But there's always going to be people on the ends of the bell that are the outliers that are going to have side effects and issues that often are just dismissed because like, well, you're the only one. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not like, I'm not making this up.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: in being the only ones, not a solution. So, okay. What's our next
1: step? Yeah. And they often don't have an answer to that
0: no because you're you know when you're the outlier all of that bias like i mentioned before all that experience
1: is on that fat part of the bell yeah not the outliers yeah for sure and you know one of the things i talk about a lot is what it means to be your own best health advocate and i i very strongly encourage people to not just accept what your doctor tells you to take it as a suggestion and see what else you can find that aligns with you know the issue that you're having, and when I did that, you know I've through through this dark path that I went through with my own health. I had instances in doctors' offices where I was demanding more answers, and I've had <laughs> I was so adamant about like, well, I want this lab test, and you know if they don't have a code for it, they're not going to do it, blah blah blah. But I was so adamant, I even had. A doctor tell me, you know, if you don't leave right now and stop asking these questions, I'm going to have security take you out. Or, you know, I had another doctor tell me, do you know how much I paid for my medical degree? And you're sitting here telling me you need this lab test. And it's like, no, I don't know how much you paid, but I, and you know, it turns out I was right that I did need that lab test, but I wasn't in the right place. I wasn't at the right type of doctor to get that done.
0: And that's in, I've, I've been through this like tenfold and have many times been told, well, you're not a doctor, or I've had, well, are you a doctor? Do you practice medicine? And the answer has always been, well, well, no, Um, but isn't this logical? Yeah. You know, like I know that I think this is a reasonable question or even a reasonable request. Hey, I'm doing a blood draw. I have a big issue with needles and with blood. So the fact I'm doing a blood draw, like this is a big deal. Hey, can we just add my C-reactive protein for inflammation on there? Well, we don't really need to do that. Well, I don't really care if we need to do it. They're putting a hole in my arm. So they're doing it anyways. Add it. And if I need to hand you cash for it, I don't care. And that's a pretty basic thing to ask for. <laughs> and what is this? There's zero impact on anybody. Like, yeah. there, it's just one more line on the panel. Like, what's mm-hmm. the big deal? But I do think we, we've we been, and it's generational, like our parents' generation would never question medicine. right? right. And, and, and that being said, I think medicine in the 60s and 70s was different than it is today in in some positive ways and some negative ways right yeah i think you still had your your community local private practice physician and yeah. and they did spend time with you and they knew you they knew mm-hmm. you more than the only time you came in is when you were sick right yeah yeah um but i think they blindly accept and follow i think some of our generation is more likely to question
1: Mm-hmm.
0: not always, but I, I do think we, we are more inclined to say, yeah, but why? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. But why?
1: Yeah. And definitely. What about this? Like when my, my mom or my sister, you know, I've gone with them a couple of times, to different doctor's appointments. I'm always happy to go because I know I am going to talk circles around the doctor to make sure that I know what's happening or they're going to answer my questions. Or if I don't feel right about it, that I'm going to search for answers elsewhere because yeah, I t- definitely agree that I think our generation, we're kind of the first ones to really be like, are you sure about that?
0: <laughs> yeah, does oh. this make sense? Like, yeah. it, is this lo- logical? Yeah. Like what you're saying and what about this?
1: hmm
0: Oh, well, are you a doctor? Why do we always have to go back to that? No. <laughs> like-
1: right. Yeah, like I've seen the memes about that, um, Are you a doctor? No. Well, why are you going to question my 20 years of lived experience? And I know people like to have a rebuttal for that with, well, that's just anecdotal, but there are millions of other people experiencing the same thing.
0: (laughs) But is it like, is it just anecdotal? I mean, it's, and again, if you're not alone and you're the outlier or you're part of that outlier group, there's still a group of outliers that are having a similar experience.
1: That was part of what made me really wake up when I started seeing all these the stuff about Hashimoto's and how many people like I started finding Facebook groups where there are tens of thousands of women all saying they were experiencing the same, the thing. same thing. Yeah, right. So the same yeah. Thing. It, yeah, so it's not rare at all, as you know. <laughs> but yeah. it,
0: it's just not paid attention to. Even in the '90s, if we look at marketing, and this is a a little bit in line with maybe your graphic design, because somebody was creating the artworks and the the marketing collateral for the commercials. But in the late '90s, the only people that had concern for heart health issues were adult males. Mm-hmm. All of the marketing was skewed towards middle-aged adult males with no mention of women it's like well they have a heart too
1: yeah and how are we not including
0: them in this
1: and speaking of that kind of thing I'm sure you probably know this when they give you quote-unquote normal lab ranges a lot of that is based on men the lab results of men from like the 1950s what good does that do us it really doesn't doesn't.
0: it doesn't serve us well and that's Any of the lab stuff is going to be a range. Mm -hmm. And even if that range is correct, if we ignore, again, if we ignore the patient, if we ignore Kelly as the individual, you might be in the middle of the quote unquote range, but you may function better as an individual if you're at the very high end of that range or Maybe you feel better. your quality of life is better if you're at the low range, yep, but it's impossible to have a conversation about that because they look at your number and they look at the range and like, well, you're right in the middle, yeah, but I feel like shit, yeah, but you're right yeah. in the middle,
1: yeah oh, okay, okay is yep. that number right for me like. <laughs> Yeah, that's and that's exactly the value that I found in working with a functional medicine doctor because they they do take that into consideration, which it can make all the difference in the world for how somebody feels.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's unfortunate that more people aren't that engaged and more of us aren't willing to advocate for our own health. Yes. And I see that I see that all the time and in like last week, and I, I don't know that I want to get into it here, but I had arguments about um, uh, a shot last week and my information is right. It's mm-hmm. anybody could go and, and look, you can see the actual info. And just mm-hmm. because all of the doctors are saying the same thing doesn't mean it's correct.
1: Yeah, And I have,
0: I have some, some doctors that are clients that are business consulting clients that are in private practice. And I have some that are friends and, and whatever, and in a number of them, like, they're like, yeah, you're right. That's what we've all been told. And that's what everybody in our profession just keeps repeating, but that's not your, what you're saying is correct. That's the truth.
1: Yeah. I've, I've encountered similar combos too. Yeah.
0: And it's, it's infuriating
1: it is but then when you do encounter the doctors who are like uh, you're actually right yeah it is it is very validating but it it is also it's frustrating because something's got to change because america is mostly unwell so
0: for, yeah with without without question and even yeah. and we'll tie this into some of your activities because this would be a good segue to that so you compete in powerlifting or you have yeah. competed in powerlifting right
1: Yes. I Walk us it.
0: through that.
1: All right. Um, so it was just kind of an evolution of me looking for some new fitness challenges. Um, and I stumbled into it, um, when I was working at a gym and there were a lot of powerlifters training there and, you know, they'd always, I started going to watch them and they'd nudge me like you're next Kelly. And at the time I was still just like a a cardio bunny. And I'd be like, yeah, right. <laughs> I can't lift that stuff. But I didn't understand if you, you, everybody starts somewhere and you just build and build. And one day I finally gave in to go train with, a uh, a friend, um, at her, at the powerlifting gym. And at the time I was mentally in a mindset of, cause I had done the one bikini competition, the OCB show that you were in and, um, I was mentally wanting to compete in the fitness category. Um, that's where I my training was headed, so I thought. But then along the way, I just fell in love with powerlifting, and I fell in love with the feeling of being strong and getting stronger all the time. So that's the path I've been on.
0: In in that, so that the segue I mentioned, and it's perfect. So you're you would mention you're forty seven. Mm-hmm. So here you are. You're still you're still training. You still have an arena where you compete powerlifting. Mm -hmm. And that, and that doesn't mean that. And for people that aren't familiar with powerlifting, like you're not, you're not doing a meet, a powerlifting contest or powerlifting meet every month, but you, you might do one every year, every couple of years, but you have an arena to compete. So you didn't hang up your athletic endeavors at age 22 because you're out of college.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And it's exciting for me to have an outlet for that.
0: And I see a lot of people that are our age, they they're done. Like they don't do anything active anymore. Like, it's like, well, you're not dead. Like you're not dead. (laughs) Like you can, if you (laughs) like doing those things 20 years ago, believe it or not, you can still do them today.
1: Yeah. And I, I find a lot of joy in it. It really, it really, it keeps me very motivated when I know I have like a set date of like, okay, I'm going to compete. It's even though it's eight months away or whatever, I, it, it gives me a lot of drive to compete against myself constantly in the gym.
0: Absolutely. And that, when people are trying to remain motivated, they're trying to find motivation. When you have a date on the calendar to accomplish something by, you don't need motivation because you're going to show up and do the work. You have to, The, the
1: clock's ticking. Yeah. You, you don't know. want to embarrass yourself. <laughs> so,
0: right. So yeah. therefore you show up, you get under the bar and you do the work. Yeah. Now, what are, will you share it? So how much do you weigh? I, I weigh
1: about 170. Is that I've,
0: what you compete at?
1: I kind of waffle between the 181 eight class and 165. Um, since I'm not, I'm not anywhere close to breaking any world records. I usually just, I don't sweat it too much. I mean, I'd have a a better score if I cut down to below 165. I so we competed. can argue, we can argue that point, so, but carry on. Yeah. So keep going. So I just I don't sweat it too much because I feel comfortable like right about 170. Although, so I just competed a couple months ago. And you know, as I'm trying to figure out what's next, I am just trying to figure out maybe this is a good time to try to get lean again. You know, maybe I'll compete in the Get lean, see how much strength I can keep while getting lean. Maybe I compete in the one forty eight again. I don't know. We'll see.
0: What were what was your what was your
1: total? Best total ever was eight eighty, and that's something that I would love to beat. At what body weight? Uh, one sixty five. What I were you to the? That, what that were you to the lifts? Um, squat was three. I think three forty one. Bench was around 165, maybe 160, 165. And my deadlift was 374.
0: Was that was that equipment or was it raw? Was it like knee wraps and that's it? Or
1: with knee wraps, yeah.
0: So no bench shirt, no squat brief.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: Right on. Those are decent numbers. Thanks. Right?
1: I would love to beat it.
0: I mean, your two X, your two X body weight in the squat and the, we'll call it two X body weight, squat and deadlift and one times body weight in the bench. Those are solid numbers.
1: I've been in over the past year working with a a coach to really help me, you know, dial in my technique. I've. Over the past year, I've kind of, I've kind of come somewhat close to those numbers in the gym, but not all at the same time. Right. That's the key. Cause it always feels, cause there, there are three lifts. It always feels like one starts to be your best and then the other two suffer a little bit. And then, so I, I, I need to work hard on lifting them all up simultaneously. Um, and I don't know, we'll see. It's so It's getting
0: weight wise my experience has been the lifters should lift where they're at the weight they're the best lifter Mm -hmm. and that's why i was like "Ah, i don't know about the trying to get lower for the sake of getting lower my experience has been when lifters have done that they don't perform as well and now this is this is coming from so like zen zen barbell club was Mm -hmm. at my gym so the little bridges were at my gym for a long time yeah. Um, we had guys squatting north of a grand. We had a monolift back in 2004,
1: mm-hmm. the
0: long way before n- nobody knew what a monolift was. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a powerlifting meet at the gym, the first Midwest States contest also had a bench meet, which I'll never do again. I will never haul a few thousand pounds of plate weight in and <laughs> out on a show oh day ever, ever again.
1: <laughs> that um, is a lot. Yeah.
0: But I think you lift where you're. Where your numbers are the best, and then we would see too. Guys would keep putting weight on to bring their lifts up, and inevitably, once they put enough weight on their midsection, the squat would go up, but it would change the deadlift mechanics because now they had to work around their belly.
1: Yes, but the deadlift
0: would go down, and it's like, well, you gained, you put twenty on the squat, and you took twenty away from the deadlift that's not the ratio. I'm making that up. I don't, I'd have to go look through stuff to see what we would see, but I know it's like, it's mean, not though. making sense.
1: Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Cause you, you definitely can change your body mechanics. And like I right now, like, yeah, this morning I I was like 170 pounds, almost on the dot. And this is, this is the weight where if i go up i start to feel uncomfortable if i go down i start to feel ectomorphic so yeah it it is kind of like my comfort weight even though i am very much at a point right now where i would like to be leaner but i don't know how much strength i will strength loss i'm willing to risk you know so in
0: in hindsight in drug free powerlifters in the the performance and enha- the, the enhanced sides a, a separate conversation Mm-hmm. And by the way, you're not squatting a grand without drugs. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Um. But a lot, if we get the food right, we get the food really right. Usually you'll keep most of your strength gains.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I definitely believe it's possible. I think part of my hesitation too, is now having the fat factor. Cause when I, when I reached those PRs and that 880 total, I was having like, that was when I was being diagnosed with that sleep disorder. But now I do have like this generalized fear of like, is any of this going to trigger an autoimmune response that does kind of, it is kind of like a lingering fear of, you know,
0: I think it's a, I think it's a legit fear because it's stress mm -hmm. and it's stress twofold. It's, it's mental stress because you have an awareness of that possibility it It could be possible. Maybe it is likely, maybe it's not, But it could be possible that you would have an autoimmune response. So that's a stress. And then anytime we put another plate on the bar, even if it's just a chip on each side, it's more stress. Thats
1: stress. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Good point. Good point. No, yeah.
0: So I think, I, I mean, I think your, your cause for concern is, I think it's warranted. I don't think it's, I don't think it's BS. I think it's legit to have that awareness for sure.
1: Well, I think part of it is the right. Cause like the food caused a lot, you know, I had a lot of food sensitivities. So ch- I guess part of it is like the fear of changing my diet too much. Cause right now, like I know what I can eat and feel good but, um, I am willing to push it. You know, I am feeling good enough that I'm willing to push it and see what happens. So
0: I like that. That's awesome. Now, what training wise, how much stuff are are you doing with bands?
1: Um, every once in a while, like over the past year, you know, it was basically like a, a conjugate type of plan. So we did like a, a cycle it. with bands, a cycle with chains, um, you Weight know, releasers. yeah, we did. Yeah, we did all kinds of stuff. Um, I was working with, um, my coaches, his name is Pete Arroyo. He, we met working at the gym when I first started kind of watching powerlifting. So he competed around the time I was first getting introduced to it. So we've kind of, you know, always crossed paths, seeing each other at competitions and stuff. So I knew I could put my trust in him. I, I know what he's doing as far as like Writing programs and things like that.
0: Nice. Now, are are you following conjugate now? Do you have a speed day? Are you work? I mean, do you have a day where you're training acceleration or no?
1: Right now, I'm not on a program. I'm trying to figure out what to do. I'm trying to figure out what exactly I want to do next. And you know, um, one on one coaching is not really in my budget right now. So, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm considering some options. But yeah, right now I'm just trying to do the best I can with my own knowledge in the gym.
0: Well, I, I think you, I mean, if you've already done conjugate, you already had, and you already have some solid numbers. You, you have the experience, like, I. you know how to program. Like I having a conversation with you about this, I would say, you know how to program.
1: I mean, I think I do. I understand like the logics of it. I just don't get down to a point where I'm like calculating, you know, <laughs> and then like writing it out. So in my head, in my head, I am kind of, you know, There is a logic to it in my head, but yeah.
0: And there is value (laughs) in taking time off. So I had a a client at the time. He was six-time USAPL national bench press champion, drug-free for life. So drug tested, whatever, Mm drug-free. And he would go, I got to remember, nationals were in like August, September, but he's an engineer by degree like me. And he's a few years older than us. So he was using spreadsheets for his workouts back in the late Uh nineties. And, and at the time this would have been like maybe 05, 06, 07. So I was helping him with his nutrition stuff and he was teaching me powerlifting. So he was teaching me the conjugate. We were doing the conjugate method and, um, I had all of his data and spreadsheets. And I'm like, hey, dude, you realize every year you bomb at nationals, you did a meet in the first quarter of the calendar year. And every year you win nationals, you don't do a meet till April.
1: Oh, there's something to that. Yeah.
0: He's like, well, how do you know that? I'm like, it's in your spreadsheet, you idiot. Like, <laughs> have, you, have you actually right mined the data and looked at it? Wow. Like, it don't. So do not do a meet. And I, I can't tell you exactly why I haven't dug into it. I may even I may look at it and have no idea when I do, but all I know is every time you do a meet in the first three months of the year, you bomb at nationals.
1: Wow. Yeah. That, that says something.
0: So <laughs> not having a program and not having a plan year round is maybe a good thing. That's where I'm going with that. Okay. So I think there's value well, in that in some way. It well, Atle- played out so. in his data. Yeah. And I think he had like a 475 or 480 in a single ply shirt at like two in a 220 class or whatever. Okay. So his numbers back in the day, he could call West side in Louie and Dave would want to talk to him because his numbers for a guy not on drugs were impressive.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. They want to talk to you. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: I think, yeah, I think taking your foot off the gas has merit and value and it will probably put some weight on the bar as you start to, to define a timetable and what you want to do.
1: Yeah. And I've been, you know, taking some time to work on things that I know are my weak points and which is never anybody's favorite thing to do, but you know, I'm investing some time in that and working on higher rep ranges, which I don't enjoy, but you know, I think while I'm figuring it out, it's good for me.
0: Now, do you squat? Do you where where you trained? Do they have a monolift? Is it a powerlifting gym?
1: It is a powerlifting gym. They have one monolift that I I'm the only person I've seen using it. <laughs> um it they are mostly a WRPF USAPL type of gym with the where they use the combo racks. And that's something else that why why I'm also just kind of not sure what I'm doing, because um I I enjoy competing where they use a monolift. Like that feels like powerlifting to me. And I just did my first meet where they did not have a monolift. For those people who don't know, it's it's a power rack where you have to actually walk out the squat. My first meet, and I I gotta be honest, I didn't enjoy it.
0: (laughs) It's I I think it's different, and if you get accustomed to not walking big weight out, you won't want to. And Mm. and to be honest with you, it doesn't like I used to walk five bills out. And wow. they, they would never do that today. Um, mm-hmm. And looking back, I had access to monolift and I'd still be in a regular rack walking the weight out and looking at it today. It's like, well, that's stupid. Like, why would you, why, why, why run the risk yeah. of picking a foot up and stepping backwards and then the other foot and stepping backwards when you can get under the bar and stand up with it, the arms swing out of the way and you
1: squat. Yeah, that's why you know? I don't, I don't understand why there aren't more people flocking to it instead of away from it. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I, mean, I granted, think
1: they go ahead. You do need to have spotters. You had to have somebody run the rack for you, which, you know, maybe people just don't have. But I mean, it's a powerlifting gym. There are always people around who will help you out. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I think a-
0: back, well, we would have... Individuals that competed in powerlifting that were of the mindset that you should have to walk it out, mm-hmm. and then there were individuals that thought you're dumb. We have modern equipment like a That's- monolift, and you're an idiot to still be walking weight out of a rack. So I think it, it depending on what side of the line they're on, they might look at it and be like, I ain't touching the monolift. Like that makes it easier. That's not really a powerlifting squat. Like you shouldn't be allowed meets. So yeah. they stay away from it and then the other ones you know are will use it um but then it 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 begs the question of well who's going to run it for me
1: right yeah and yeah, that's part of my, where I'm at with not being sure what's next is because it does feel like it's kind of become a different sport than it used to be. And I'm trying to tell myself, you know, everything changes. You should just embrace this. This is what's happening in powerlifting, but it's, it's hard for me because I am very much from the school of thought of monoliths are the way.
0: So. Yeah. And I, I think everything is cyclical and even with equipment, I mean, we watched the iterations, and and like Dick trained with Ernie and mm-hmm. helped Ernie and, and and Ernie Franz at mm-hmm. Franz's gym for decades. And like I watched, I watched the evolution of the equipment. I'm like that. Yeah, that's no longer a bench shirt. Like I'm sorry if you can't put <laughs> your arms down. Yeah, and and you get under a bar and there's not. I don't remember what the numbers were. If it, if there's not at least 275 on the bar, you can unrack it, but it won't compress the shirt. Like that's no longer a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) That's a mechanical device. That's doing some lifting for you.
1: Yeah. The evolution is certainly interesting. I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, reading about like the history of all that type of stuff about powerlifting. It's definitely, it's definitely interesting. Like where, where the lines are drawn for all these different factors.
0: Yeah. And it's, so it, monoliths will probably fall from favor and only to come back. So yeah. if you ride the wave long enough, it'll be right back to
1: where it was. Yeah. I, I hope so. I would like to see that. Maybe I'll just keep, keep training and trying to get stronger until then.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's, that's the ticket. I mean, the, yeah. the answer is always keep training, definitely yeah. try and get stronger Um, for sure, find the next target and goal to seek and chase. Yeah. So how many days a week are you training?
1: Um, usually about four or five, usually five. Um,
0: what's the split? Like, do you have lower body days, upper body days?
1: Um, right now I'm basically, I'll do a squat day and then accessories, bench day accessories. And then I'll do just a traditional leg day for hypertrophy and then, um, usually on Thursdays I'll do, um, depending what I feel like, like over the summer, I was doing a lot of hiking on that day. Um, but now I've been doing, that's been like my weak body part day is to like to work or upper body and then a deadlift on, um, Fridays pretty much.
0: Nice. That's kind of cool. And, and I, I don't know that you need to say what gym, but I'm, I'm guessing a gym in the Chicago suburbs somewhere. Part yeah.
1: I'll say what gym, um, it's MPG. In okay. Aurora. And I do still, part of my heart is still at Jacked gym in Montgomery, another powerlifting gym that I've spent many years at. And I still, I still am friends with all those guys. I still miss it. Cause that's, that's where I really learned powerlifting for real. And, um, I know I I, I'm probably going to hop over there one of these Sundays and join them for squats on the On the (laughs) monolift with
0: the people that use a monolift right on.
1: Thanks for letting me talk about my, my health journey and fit fizz. And like I mentioned, I do have a podcast too. I'm hoping to get more consistent with episodes. I, I have so many like half written episodes, just things I want to teach people health-wise and nutrition-wise. Um, a lot of my audience is mainly people who don't love the gym, but they know they need to do things to get healthier that's, that's who I love to talk to and educate.
0: So Kelly, thanks for joining us today. Again, where can people find you out there on the internet?
1: Thank you for having me. Um, My social links, it's FitFizz on all platforms, F-I-T-F-I-Z-Z. And it should be pretty easy to find me.
0: And they can find
1: your podcast
0: at FitFizz as well. And I'll have a link for that. So anybody that wants to go check Kelly's content out, it'll be one click from wherever you're seeing or hearing this.
1: Sounds great. Thank you so much.
0: This podcast is brought to you by small to grow.com the website by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Why reinvent the wheel? Start growing your business with best practices from industry leading small business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs. Take their wheel, put it to work in your business and start growing today smallbusinesstogrow.com to learn more. If you like our content, be sure to subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment below. Also, be sure to check us out on your favorite podcast provider. See the links in the description below.